I'm Nathan Gibbs, and this is Deep and Wide, a podcast about Christian culture and how ancient biblical texts are applied to issues raised in a modern world. What makes you happy? Maybe you think of a tropical vacation, making a lot of money, or special moments with family. It could be a favorite dessert, finishing a good book, reaching the top of a mountain. What about religious rituals or spiritual practices? Do these actually make us happier? Today we look at the science of happiness to see if ancient religious practices actually make us happy. Perhaps a lot of uh, what the science is showing us in terms of of happiness and and how that occurs really looks a lot like uh, in Christianity what we call the fruits of the Spirit, uh, living the life that Jesus Uh, called us to live, uh, a life of forgiveness, a life of gratitude, a life of Sabbath. And I think uh, certainly the message of Scripture and it appears of science is, is pointing us to something completely different. That's Dr. Andrew Huddleston, professor of teacher education at Abilene Christian University. For the past few weeks, he's been co-teaching a series on happiness for the conversations class at University Church of Christ in Abilene, Texas. Also teaching in the series is Dr. Jennifer Huddleston, chair of the biology department at Abilene Christian University. Every day I'm more and more convinced that our biology tells us to do one thing, but Christ tells us to do something opposite. So my biology tells me I need to fight for my family, I need to fight for myself, and make sure that I get all of the resources for myself so that I can survive. But Christ is saying love your neighbor, (laughs) pray for your enemies, do the opposite of what your biology is telling you to do. And I think there's something there, something about us being embodied, but also these spiritual beings. We'll hear more from Jennifer and Andrew as we explore the science of happiness. Jennifer, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me again. And Andrew, thanks for joining us. It's good to be here. So before we get into our discussion on happiness, I want to take just a moment to give some context about this conversations class at University Church of Christ. Andrew, churches traditionally teach Bible classes, but I think many of them intentionally avoid controversial topics. And so I'm wondering what it is for you about this conversations class that drew you in to getting involved uh, helping teach it. Well, it is a Bible class, but it's an application-based Bible class. So how can we take the Bible and apply it to contemporary issues uh, that we face every day? Um, That really got my attention and uh, piqued my interest in it. It's also discussion-based. You know, a lot of church classes tend to be more lecture. And so the fact that this was interactive really stood out to me. Uh, I think another thing is uh, a young lady who's been attending this semester, the class, came up to me afterwards and said, it's so nice to have a class where we can ask the questions that we really have and feel like it's a safe place to do that. And it just reminded me that, you know, I think churches can often stick their head in the sand and pretend that we don't live in the world that we do uh, with the complication, complicated issues that we sometimes have where we can be part of the conversation. And so I see the conversations class is really trying to be part of the conversation of the world in which we live. And Jennifer, what are some of the more memorable topics that have stuck with you uh, after doing this for a few years? 
Wow, there are a lot of good, memorable topics. Um, we've talked about anxiety and depression and mental health, which is uh, um, something that faces everyone. People in the church are not immune, but sometimes we have pretended like we are. Um, so that was a very good one. And we talked about racism, how to serve people with disabilities. Um, of course, we've talked about evolution, how to talk to children about sex. And then also we've talked about climate change. Now, with all of these topics, we don't always agree with one another, but we always have really good, rich, civil discussions with one another. And that that's really made the class good and it's made the class work well. So, Jennifer, now we're looking at this idea uh, of happiness. How did you get into this thought for a topic for class? Yeah, well, Andrew and I were listening to um, a news show that was talking about the Happiness Lab by Larry, Dr. Larry Santos at Yale. And it's one of the most uh, popular classes at Yale. And so we started listening to her podcast after that. And as we were listening to it, we thought, hmm, these things that she's talking about, we talk about these a lot in, in church, and there's a lot of biblical lessons here. And so we thought, I think we can tweak this and make it work for a conversations class. Angie, when we think about happiness, a lot of people's first thought is money, right? That, that money, more money will make us uh, more happy. And what did you learn looking at this or you know, digging into this podcast about what money's role is in making us happy? So one of their episodes was called The Unhappy Millionaire, and it, it recounts a, a powerful story that, as I understand it, has been repeated many, many times. Someone won the lottery, and of course, when we hear that, we think, wow, that person's a millionaire now. They're going to be super rich and very happy when it actually ended up destroying the person's life. Uh, the person died by suicide and couldn't trust other people, thought everyone was out to, to get his money. Um, one of the things that we learned uh, from that episode and, and the science uh, behind it is that there is a correlation uh, between money and happiness to an extent, up to about $75,000, I think is the, the number that they give in the podcast. If a person is not up to that level, uh, increasing their income will increase their happiness. Uh, money is important. It's tied to stability and health care and healthy foods and many, many other things. But beyond that 75000 it's just extra money. And it doesn't make the person happier, although our minds tend to tell us uh, that it would. And so that was something that I thought was very interesting. And, and thinking about it uh, from a, a faith perspective, a Christian perspective, I think there's a couple of important lessons there. One is one that I think Christ most Christians are familiar with. You know, money's not the answer to happiness oftentimes. But I think the other part of that is, is really a responsibility that we as Christians have that basic needs are essential. And we have a responsibility as Christians to reach out and provide support uh, for those around us to help ensure that those basic needs are being met. Jennifer, you mentioned earlier uh, thinking about how we do these practices, you know, referring to uh, things that help make us happy, but that in church we actually do these things. So tell me a little bit more about spiritual practices and what you see in this happiness lab uh, and what it says uh, about how those practices might help make us happy. Yeah. For example, um, let's talk about gratitude. So gratitude is considered to be a spiritual practice, um, and that's something that we value. Um, but 
I was really interested to learn from that podcast that um, gratitude also helps us be happier. And so um, in ways that it can help us be happier is it helps to lower stress hormones, reduce our dietary fat intake, improve our sleeping um, just by being grateful. And I I think I was surprised at at how much of an impact um, the science tells us that gratitude has on our happiness and on our well-being. Um, Something I did not know um, was that evolutionarily speaking, gratitude is important because it encourages us to cooperate and thus survive better as a species. When we are thinking about other people and grateful for the help that they provide, we work together in communities much better. And that is how um, humans can survive is being cooperative and working together. We're not like some other types of organisms that don't do that. So gratitude is one of those that really jumped out from these set of podcasts that aligned very closely with what we learn as Christians. Jennifer, as a follow-up, can you uh, remind me how, what the science looks like, like what, what sort of studying they're doing to get to these kinds of results? Okay, yes. So um, in the podcast, they were talking about a study where people kept um, – gratitude journals, or they wrote gratitude letters to people. And then they had control groups that did that did not do this. And then the experimental groups that practiced the gratitude, and they were able to measure um, happiness on, on some type of Likert scale that is readily available for psychologists, which of course, I'm not a psychologist, <laughs> I'm a biologist, um, but I find it all very interesting. Um, and so they're, they're setting up these conditions of being grateful versus not being grateful and showing what these physical outcomes are and people's reported happiness there. Well, let's listen to a clip from the Happiness Lab podcast. This is from an episode called The Unhappy Millionaire that Andrew referenced earlier. And the clip, uh, the voice you'll hear in this clip is Dr. Dan Gilbert, who wrote a book called Stumbling on Happiness. Startlingly, if you ask people who've lost a child, which is the single worst event that people can imagine experiencing, and indeed it is one of the worst events people can actually experience, if you ask people who've lost a child, they never say, gee, I'm glad that happened. But if you ask them to name the good and the bad things that have come from it, they tend to name more good than bad things. Now, that's a very stunning fact. That we should just sit back and marvel at the possibility that the worst thing in the world could happen to us and probably more good than bad will come out of it. Andrew, this gets at something really deep and difficult about pain and suffering. Uh, This idea of questioning why bad things happened is often cited as, as a reason people don't believe in God or are not willing to believe in God. How has this idea... Uh, of of what suffering does to us and how we then are happy uh, as a result. H- how has that changed how you look at it? Yeah, this was one of the probably most surprising podcasts, I think, that I listened to. Uh, the, the fact that people who've undergone horrible situations, deep suffering, uh, at the end of that can look back and say, maybe I'm not glad that it happened, but many good things came from it. And uh, it, it was just, uh, I thought, a, a tremendous lesson and in some ways uh, a message of hope uh, that even in those deep, dark, difficult situations, good can come from it. In that same podcast, they also talk about what they call 
our psychological immune systems as human beings. And they say, as human beings, we have incredible psychological immune systems. Just as our regular immune system helps protect us from diseases and whatnot, the psychological immune system gives us an incredible ability to be resilient uh, in the midst of difficult situations. It provides us an avenue to cope and also to, to move forward. And I think that's just a, a remarkable uh, thing uh, that we have as, as human beings that, that serves us well and has enabled us to uh, flourish as, as human beings, even in the midst of, of tragedy and, and difficult situations. I think it's also difficult because the Bible doesn't really give us an answer for suffering and why suffering happened. In fact, it, it addresses it some, uh, but often, as we see, like in the book of Job, the answer is because— and so it's not necessarily a satisfying answer. I think what the Bible does perhaps mostly is remind us that we do live in a fallen world and a world that uh, has pain and tragedy and suffering. And it also reminds us that in the midst of that, God is with us. He does not abandon us in those moments. And as I think about this particular podcast and the idea of a, a psychological immune system from a faith perspective, a Christian perspective, I wonder if God gave us that on purpose uh, to help us knowing how the world is in which we live, to give us a tool, an avenue that we could use to better endure those moments. Let's listen to another one. Uh, this is another episode from the Happiness Lab podcast. This is from The Power of the Made-Up Ritual. Uh, host Dr. Lori Santos references the connection here uh, between rituals and happiness. The lottery studies show us that doing something that feels like a ritual can have a positive effect on our well-being, even the first time we do it, which is a really important finding. It means we can just make up a new ritual anytime we need one. Jennifer, most people often think of religious life as a series of rituals, and in many ways they're not entirely wrong. How do you see this idea of ritual playing out in spiritual practices? So I see ritual as being a way that we mark things and the way that we remember things. Um, and I think there's something to that with, with some of the rituals um, that we do as people of faith or as people who do not have faith. Um, weddings, funerals, or a celebration of life services, all of those, those are rituals. Um, it helps us mark a particular place in time. And... Um, then we make up the rituals, as Dr. Santos said, to make us feel better about different things. Um, so some other things that we do um, in our faith community, we pray before meals. It's not to make the food holy. I thought that whenever I was a kid. I thought it, that you were supposed to do that so that you wouldn't get sick. That's not true. The reason that we pray before meals is to remember to be thankful, so we have gratitude, and to remember um, that we have a connection with God. And, it, and it, it's this ritual that draws us closer to God. So I think that is the power of ritual in a Christian's life, is it helps us to remember, and it brings us closer to God. Baptism, the same thing. Lord's Supper, our tradition um, is really focused on the Lord's Supper. Um, we don't have infant baptisms, but we have baby blessings, uh, which is also the same type of ritual marking the beginning of this life. Um, and so I see that there's great value in those rituals, and that's what 
Um, Dr. Santos says, if it's these big rituals or if it's small ones, um, they talk about um, different things that people do when loved ones die, not just the funeral, but how they remember them. Um, listening to their loved one's favorite song or washing their favorite car. Um, my father still drives my grandfather's truck occasionally. So here's another example. Um, whenever I first started working at my current job, we had, we had an orientation week. And it was in this particular center on campus. And so um, I had moved to Texas on Sunday um, from Georgia and I had to start work on Monday, start the orientation on Monday. And then on Saturday, I was supposed to go see my grandfather, who was very ill, had been in the hospital for a few weeks, but we were going to go visit him on Saturday. Well, he hadn't been doing too well. It was Tuesday, and um, I was going to orientation. I went into the restroom in this particular building, and I was in this one particular stall, and I got a phone call. And I knew that was my mom calling to tell me that my grandfather had died. So I decided that I was just going to pretend it didn't happen, and I did not answer the phone. <laughs> and so I um, regained my composure, realized this is what she's going to tell me. I left the building, went outside, and called my mom. And I was right. So after that... Um, Every time I went into that particular building and used that particular restroom, I would always remember this is where I was when my mother called me to tell me about my grandfather. And at first it was painful. The memory was painful. And then slowly after that, it became something that I did. Every time I went into that particular restroom, I made sure to go to that same stall and I thought about my grandfather, and I still do that, and it's been 10 years. And now it's a, it's a joyful thing, and it is something that helps me to remember him in the middle of a crazy day when I wouldn't ne normally, and it brings me happiness. And so that's just a, a small example of a made-up ritual that has brought peace to my life. Andrew, one of the biggest core concepts in Christian philosophy is forgiveness. In what ways do you see uh, connections here in the Happiness Lab podcast that show how forgiving people can make us happy? So yes, forgiveness is one of the key components of Christianity. And Dr. Santos, what she did in a few of her episodes on the Happiness Lab is she drew upon ancient religions and religious texts to, to see what we might could learn from them in terms of happiness and how that squared with the science that we had today. And so one of the episodes was about forgiveness. She had a prominent theologian uh, from Yale University on the, the podcast. And part of what they did was they talked about what forgiveness is. Uh, forgiveness is recognizing that a wrongdoing occurred, but choosing not to hold it against that person. And, and that's kind of a key Christian principle that, that we recognize when a wrongdoing occurs and happens. We don't just ignore it, but we choose not to hold that against against them. Uh, it's unsticking the deed from the doer uh, was one of the phrases that they used that I thought was really, really helpful. And, and that phrase is particularly helpful uh, 
if we can recognize that, okay, this person may have committed this act, uh, but that's still an individual. Maybe what they did was horrible, uh, but that's an individual. That's a person uh, that has value there. And if we can unstick that deed from the doer, it can make it easier to, to forgive and, and to move forward. It's a gift, uh, forgiveness is. And, and part of the science is that anytime we give gifts, there are benefits uh, that we uh, experience because of that. For both parties, uh, when forgiveness happens, uh, there are tremendous health benefits, both physically and emotionally. And so a lot of the science went back and documented some of uh, the benefits uh, that both parties uh, can experience from forgiveness. I think, though, my favorite image that was mentioned in the uh, podcast was uh, this image of two trees. And if you can imagine two trees colliding and the branches uh, being broken in those two trees, forgiveness is essentially taking those two trees and enabling new growth to occur. Hey, uh, when, when those parties come together and forgive one another, uh, new growth can emerge uh, from, from where those breaks happened. And, and I think from a, a faith perspective, that's something that we know, something that Jesus taught us and, and help us uh, understood uh, and understand better. But uh, essentially, forgiveness is that gift that enables us to move forward uh, and enables that new growth to happen. So I think that image of the two trees is a powerful one. Let's listen to one last clip from the Happiness Lab podcast. This is from the episode, How to Be Angry Better. I love Faith's description of anger, that it's our body's way of giving us the energy to get out of a difficult situation. I'm going to remember this when I start to feel frustrated and try to appreciate my anger signals a bit more than I usually would. But I'm also going to recognize that the energy boost I get from feeling annoyed doesn't mean I need to let my experience of rage run wild. I can listen to what my ire is saying without blowing my top. I'm also going to commit to paying attention to the circumstances that get my blood boiling. If I can recognize the patterns that cause my frustration ahead of time, I'll have a better chance of changing my circumstances in ways that will boost my well-being even more broadly. And if all that fails, I now have some new breathing techniques I can use to chill out my fight-or-flight system the next time I'm stuck in traffic. Jennifer, uh, getting angry is one of those things that I've uh, it happens to me, <laughs> and I don't, uh, you know, don't necessarily enjoy confessing that, but, uh, but it is true. Uh, I think we all get angry at different ways. Uh, tell me a little bit more about how anger works um, and how you see that playing out um, as uh, in the sense of s- spiritual virtues. Okay, so this is going to sound strange because we're going. I'm, I am going to get to the spiritual virtue part, but I'm going to start with the biology first. So I really like. Um, the biology of when people get angry because it is an activation of the sympathetic nervous system. And the sympathetic nervous system causes our hearts to beat rapidly, breathe deeper, muscles engaged. Um, And that is the feeling that we get whenever we get angry. And so there's a biological reason for this because our bodies are made for um, running away from predators. So if you think about it evolutionarily, we're running away from predators, we're protecting our families, um, we're protecting ourselves. And so we have this fight or flight response. 
and that activates that sympathetic nervous system. And so we have this very bodily emotion, or not emotion, bodily response. And so it has the, the accompanying emotion with it. So um, understanding that, I think, is important um, because we are not typically running away from predators, but our society and our, and our um, times have changed but our bodies haven't evolved quickly enough. So we can't tell the difference between um, someone cutting us off in traffic and a saber-toothed tiger chasing us. So we have the same response. And so what I appreciated about this, this particular episode of being angry better was whenever you start to feel those emotions, you feel it in your body, then that's a signal to say, ooh, what is triggering this? Do I really need to fight or flight? <laughs> or do I need to sit back and think, okay, why do I feel like this? What is being threatened? Is it my, do I feel like it's my personal body or my space or my family or my mate? Um, and if so, what is the appropriate response and think through it? So I, drawing that back to spirituality, I think it's really important to remember that our spiritual selves and our physical selves are very tightly entwined, and we don't like to think that they are. We like to think they're completely separate, and I am in charge of my spiritual life, and I'm in charge of me. And then there's my body, which I feed, and I recognize that, but we don't think about it as being so interconnected and both so um, interdependent on one another. And so um, I like thinking about my whole self as being embodied and and seeing the connections there. And so whenever I think about spirituality, I think about, yes, I'm going to try to control my temper <laughs> and my anger, but I'm going to recognize that I'm going to get angry because I'm human. But um, I also have the capability to sit back and think about it and also think about uh, the words of Christ and what Christ would do. So I, every day I'm more and more convinced that um, th this is a different type of theology. <laughs> every day I'm more and more convinced that our biology tells us to do one thing, but Christ tells us to do something opposite. So my biology tells me I need to fight for my family. I need to fight for myself and make sure that I get all of the resources for myself so that I can survive but Christ is saying, love your neighbor, <laughs> pray for your enemies, do the opposite of what your biology is telling you to do. And I think there's something there, um, something about us being embodied, but also these spiritual beings. Andrew, like she's commenting about this split, right? The, the spirit and the body. Uh, I, I think Dr. Santos talks a little bit about this idea that our brains lie to us. Yeah, so it's a... A recurring theme that she has in each of her episodes where she talks about, well, what if our brains are lying to us? And and, and that's kind of her, her recurring theme is that, yes, our, our brains lie to us about what we think will make them happy, make us happy. Uh, getting rich will make us happy. You know, if, if only, you know, if only I could have that house on the beach in Florida or that perfect job or the perfect spouse, you know, we get into these, these if onlys. 
Uh, and she says that's another example of our brains lying to us. You know, the best things that we can imagine uh, happening to us in our lives, we, we tend to overestimate how good that would be. And if that ever does happen, we usually find out, well, that didn't make me quite as happy as I thought it would. And, and so, you know, w- whether the topic is gratitude or forgiveness or uh, many of the others uh, that she talks about, it's, it's always coming back to our brains are lying to us. And, and that caught my attention, you know, coming at it from a faith perspective. I think uh, the Bible tells us something similar. You know, I, I think God does care about our happiness, uh, but how he defines happiness and how we uh, might get to that happiness and experience it may not be the way that uh, we assume that would happen. And I think for me, looking back on these lessons and these episodes and what we did with this series as our, at our church was really kind of a wake-up call to me that, you know, perhaps a lot of uh, what the science is showing us in terms of, of happiness and, and how that occurs really looks a lot like uh, in Christianity what we call the fruits of the Spirit, uh, living the life that Jesus uh, called us to live, uh, a life of forgiveness, a life of gratitude, a life of Sabbath, you know, and we could go on and on. And so the connections for me just keep uh, being made, you know, the more I look at this series. But you're right, uh, our brains tend to lie to us and I think uh, certainly the message of Scripture and it appears of science is, is pointing us to something completely different in terms of, of what happiness is and how we can experience that. Jennifer, any another takeaways, uh, final takeaways uh, as you think about the, uh, this class? Well, something I was surprised by, at the very beginning of the class on the first night, we talked about happiness. And... A lot of the members of the class seem to push back a lot about um, if Christians should even be happy or pursue happiness. They had a hard time with happiness, but not with joy. So they defined happiness as being something short-lived and superficial, um, whereas they saw joy as something deeper with longer-lasting effects and contentment. I don't think Lori Santos makes that distinction in her podcast. I think what um, the people in our class are calling joy, she was calling happiness. But for some reason, the happiness was a really big turnoff of a word. It almost seemed as if happiness was maybe a little too much of an earthly type thing. Uh, you know, that, should we really get to expect to be happy. You know, it's almost as if that's asking, you know, a little bit too much. But again, I think it comes back to, you know, well, how do we define happiness? Uh, What do we think happiness is? How do we attain that? Uh, I I know for Christians, a a lot of us, and and I agree with this, we look at our our future home in heaven and and think that's, that's true happiness. You know, and life may be difficult now, but we just need to grit our teeth and push through uh, because we have something better waiting us on us in the future. And, and, and I believe that, you know, that's absolutely correct. But I think another part of uh, the Christian faith and the Christian walk that this series has reminded me of is that we can also experience some of that joy and happiness that we'll have in heaven here today. And I think that largely happens by doing the work that God has called us to do and that Jesus modeled for us when he was living here. I think we essentially could say that Jesus modeled for us how to 
achieve some sense of happiness here on this earth. And again, it goes back to giving gratitude and forgiveness and uh, generosity, uh, kindness, you know, all of those things that are really at the core of, of who we are as Christians. Andrew, thank you for speaking with us. I enjoyed it very much. Thank you. And Jennifer, thanks for being here. Thanks. It made me happy. Dr. Jennifer Huddleston and Dr. Andrew Huddleston both work at Abilene Christian University and lead the Conversations class at University Church of Christ. Andrew is a professor of teacher education and Jennifer is chair of the biology department. The Happiness Lab is a podcast about the science of happiness. It's hosted by Dr. Lori Santos, who is a professor of psychology and head of Silliman College at Yale University in New Haven, Connecticut. Deep and Wide is produced in association with the Conversations class at University Church of Christ in Abilene, Texas, and distributed by public radio station KACU. I'm Nathan Gibbs, and this is Deep and Wide. Deep and Wide.